0: Lord, we thank you again. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for being our teacher, our counselor, our spirit of truth. We ask you to continue to be with us. Allow our hearts to be open to further revelations of who our awesome God is, because what we know about God is the most important thing about us, and it allows us to manifest, even into society, truth that overcomes the multiple lies that the enemy has there. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are ready to start session seven, where we're going to look at God as teacher, love displayed in education. And we're going to begin gazing at the face of God as teacher. So, as we begin this sixth face of God, it is this facet as teacher that we're going to explore. We understand that this is all attached to a Reformation assignment. We have an assignment. We've been invited to partner with God to reform the mountain of education. And some have run ahead and begun trying to do so, but it all must start by first being sure we really know what he looks like as our wise teacher, who he is. In our previous session, we were perhaps peering somewhat into this aspect of God as we were revealing, exploring how patiently he teaches at age-appropriate levels, aspects of who our God is. And he does that for individuals, and he does that for society as well. Um, Honestly, this entire experience, this entire session, uh, even the preparation for it is all a knowledge of God assignment. It is all about God as teacher. And um, as there's, a, uh, there's an instructive insight into God that we're picking up in every area of society. If the whole goal of it all is the true knowledge of God, if that's the end game, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, the whole earth being filled with the knowledge of not just who he is, but the glory of who he is, then the entire process is a progressive education <clears throat> However, there is also a nuanced characteristic of himself as teacher. This is where he reveals his great love to us by the way he teaches us. Uh, Remember, all seven of these faces are different manifestations of his love for us. His love is so deep and wide that it can't be reduced to only one kind of love. That's why as awesome as the storyline is that Jesus died on the cross, he gave his life for us, and that's how he showed his love for us It really expands beyond that, and even these are the seven primary faces of God, and there are many other faces of God to be explored and uh, revealed to us in society. His love for us, that he wants us to be with him for eternity, doesn't do justice to the breadth of the love that he has for us. He loves us seven colors deep in every area of life here on earth. He is a seven-spirited God with different flavors and expressions of his love, and that's what we're learning at this time. time. When he's loving us with provision, it feels different than when he's loving us as creator. When he's loving us as redeemer, it feels different than when he's loving us as teacher. And uh, we want to learn to see and receive all of his hues of love, all of his colors of love, and we want to then learn how to represent him, to re-image those hues of who he is back into society because that advances the kingdom of God. Those are the nuclear weapons of heaven, the knowledge weapons. Now, as we gaze at him as teacher, we see, first of all, a God who cares more about us than about what he's trying to teach us. It's something just to pause for a moment because that's something we don't necessarily pick up in our teaching experience our student experience in our school systems in our school systems we are generally made to feel that the instruction is actually more important than us that there's a one size fits all approach that is taken and if we don't happen to make that connection uh, we're going to be flunked we're just another number and we learn to bend to the system or we are just considered failures God as teacher does have some set rules and principles, but he takes an entirely customized approach to how he teaches his kids. He's aware that he wired us all differently, so he knows how to condition the instruction according to the wiring he has put inside each of us. Every one of us experiences customized education from God the teacher. He knows who's the softy, he knows who's the tough one, he knows who's the creative, who's the more linear, who learns better in the night, who learns better in the day. He also knows what baggage and generational issue everyone brings. And he conditions education accordingly. He's amazingly patient, to say that again. And he conditions education accordingly to that. He can also peer into every heart. It's an advantage most teachers don't have, apart from a great gift of discernment, but never to the level of our teacher. He can peer into every heart and see who's resisting him, and he can see to what degree he's being resisted. Things that, again, teachers here can only guess on. If you've been a teacher, you have to guess. Now, are they doing that to be defiant? Are they hurt, or why are they doing that? He knows. He knows who needs more patience and he knows who needs more immediate consequences. He is perfectly wise, knowing how all aspects of knowledge are to be applied. Our teacher is completely aware of both our natural age and our spiritual age. Something that's not generally known. And he gives us age-specific lessons. He totally loves loving us through this wise way that he teaches and instructs us. He is more an expert on us than he is on his curriculum. He uses and teaches principles, but he's not in love with his principles. He's in love with us. This initial gaze at God, our wise teacher, gives us some you know, initial foundational and necessary insight into how we must advance the Reformation on the mountain of education. We can talk about class size as a problem, lack of discipline as a problem, weak curriculum, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But these will all be secondary compared to creating a proper teacher-student dynamic, which is best modeled as humanly possible as we attempt to reimage how he teaches us. See, once we know how he teaches us, then we look to reproduce that in the best way we can possibly think or imagine or have uh, authority to do so here on earth. He creates, our God creates an atmosphere where a student feels prioritized. This becomes priority number one in an education system. How do we make the students feel prioritized even over their curriculum? (coughs) A secondary matter we learn from gazing at God as teacher is that he builds in rewards for those with a hunger for learning. Scripture speaks of him as being the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. This means that our God, He likes to hide things, and that He then considers it to be a royal attribute to be curious enough to search for what is hidden. This is clearly a brilliance of His education technique. He is not boring and predictable but he rather loves to create an environment where curiosity is awakened. In Matthew, it says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hid in the field. Here again, we see his teaching philosophy of stirring curiosity and not just force-feeding education. Learning with our wise teacher is never about trying to get good grades as the end in itself but about adding to our arsenal of knowledge and understanding, particularly of him, his ways, and how to better steward life. Proverbs chapter one, verse six says, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here again, in a chapter that's all about gaining wisdom, if you would go into Proverbs, those first chapters, It speaks not of an ability to regurgitate what was force-fed a student, but how to encourage curiosity and a love of figuring it out. This is how he teaches us. A, A third characteristic of our wise teacher is how he instructs us with stories of life itself. Jesus, if you remember, he was called rabbi or teacher, also demonstrated this aspect of the Godhead. He modeled this color, this flavor, this face of God. Jesus taught his disciples in the multitudes, not with complex charts and sophisticated terminology, but he used that which they were already familiar with. He taught them with stories of life that they could relate to. These stories, called parables, were his specific methodology for teaching. None of his parables contained cars or airplanes or microwaves, or computers, or televisions. He used that which they had in that day for his education of matters of life. None of what he taught was just so that his disciples or people would consider themselves smart or educated. His wisdom is always applicable to real life. Knowledge that has no real application is just vanity and, feels and feeds pride. Again, we're just gazing at who he is. God, our teacher, is always instructing and educating us purposefully. All of his wisdom starts with the principle that he is the center of everything. All pseudo-wisdom has God at the periphery, on the outside, looking in. Any knowledge of life that doesn't acknowledge the nuanced priority and availability of God is just foolishness and actually garbage. There isn't a science of anything living if that thing is disconnected from God. Whether we study cells, molecules, atoms, tree, animals, people, all living matter has as its source of existence its connection to God. They're getting there. They're getting closer. The subatomic, the quantum world is heading them in that direction. They're going to be shot soon enough when their high-powered scientific mind and high-powered scientific microscopes are going to run them right into God. So the health of all living things is always tied into an improved relationship with God. That is, in essence, what education is meant to be, the understanding of how we relate to God and his creation. That's what true education is about. Another related characteristic of our God, the teacher, is that he loves to be the one who lays out the dots that need to be connected. It's related to an earlier point you're making, but he loves us to do the connecting of the dots. Even my explanation in the previous session on how God has progressively worked with society reveals that aspect of himself. Example, in Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This, in fact, laid out the standard that marriage was to be between one man and one woman. Although, you know, from Genesis 2. Yet God didn't specifically attach a commandment with it and seemingly allowed centuries of polygamy, even by his most trusted friends, as we mentioned, Abraham, David, etc., but by New York Times, by New, by New Testament times, and the New York Times, how does that come out? <laughs> by New Testament times, that's a little comedic relief we needed. <clears throat> Paul and the church leaders had connected the dots. And they realized, hey, God has always been against polygamy. But he let us connect the dots. Seeing him in this light gives us a clue on how he, first how he does it, and then how we are to teach as well, to teach as he teaches. So we're laying out, there's no specific, it's not like Malachi 4, the last verse, all of a sudden says, oh, and by the way, polygamy's out. But all of a sudden we start New Testament, it's like, polygamy's out, when did that happen? It's like it was in there, but not as a direct order, the dots were laid out already, and then he let his people connect the dots. The same is true towards his educating of us in, in properly, uh, he, you know, how, how to properly value a woman. In Galatians 3.28, he said, in Christ there is neither male nor female. Other passages also lay out his supreme commitment to freedom. You've heard where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All throughout the scripture, the dots are laid out that tell us that slavery is against God's nature Yet again, only in recent history have we connected those dots and made it despicable to have slaves. There are, there are the matters he makes abundantly clear. There's the thou shalt not kills. But there are many more that he lays a track of how he is, and we are then expected to connect the dots and have a bell go off inside of us when we get it. So it's just, I think it is beautiful to. to observe this aspect of our God as teacher, then it's also helpful as we consider how we translate that understanding into more complicated matters like public education, 2015. Part of what we can learn is that even though God is the epicenter of every living thing, and that this is the core of any real education, but there still can be a wise way to educate without imposing God on anyone. Remember, that's just, we're learning this is the honorable way he advances his heart. He doesn't impose his kingdom. We can lay out those dots in the curriculum. We can have anointed curriculum that lays those dots out that leads the student to that conclusion as a natural part of their discovery without actually having to stuff it in their face. There really is so much to glean as we first gaze at him and then seek to reimage how he is into the structures of society, of education itself. He has the better way of doing everything, but it all starts with knowing the teacher as he really is. And just to re- co- continue to remind us that there is, there is no such thing as uh, an impasse with God. There is no, no sector of society, including education, is something that he's like, man, I don't know how to break through there. It's all easy if we will re-image him the way he actually is. And it will cut through the restrictions, even demonic powers and principalities. It'll be like knife cutting through melted butter. You know, it just that's what Elijah manifested even with Baal. But we really have to know what he's like and advance his way of doing things. So there's so much more. Obviously, it's worth spending Again, if you're called to education, it's worth just taking months. Like, how are you? How do you teach? Explore how he does that. And we're just giving you some of the things that we've learned from it. So we want to look at the color associated with God as teacher on the mountain of education. It's the color indigo or, or deep blue, whichever you prefer to call it. <clears throat> call it. Um, appropriately enough, God as teacher is the same color but a deeper shade of blue as God, the redeemer. If you remember that God, the redeemer is the blue color um, associated with the mountain of religion. The color of God that reveals himself as redeemer now gets explored in a deeper way. It's the essential nature of him that he is the redeemer, but then we get to explore the depths and nuances of how he is. So who he is as redeemer is that blue color, but then how he is an expanded way causes us to dive deeper into the deep blue of him as teacher. Once you get the priority of having your eternal security in place, because that's what we're doing when we look at him as redeemer, we, want, we make sure that our, our eternal state is secure. The next priority is then gaining insight in how are we to then live here on earth. As 2 Peter 3.3 3 tells us, he has given us all things that pertain to life as opposed to just eternity. And this is something, you know, we haven't previously really got very clearly as the church. And that's why we've only championed him as the God of the hereafter, who well, one day you get to be with him. You know, everything's a mess. It's out of order. And I don't know how He really can't do anything about it, but one day he's just going to come judge all these sinners and we're going to be zapped and then he's going to set up his kingdom in some independent way of sons and daughters. That would be a narrative that's so dishonoring to him and so not what he would go for. Now, as you follow the sequence of the rainbow colors, and if you've been following how we've been going, we've been doing the Roy G. Biv thing, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. You see that This deep blue indigo is followed by the last color, violet. That would be what we'll go with our next session, which connects to government. Our ultimate Revelation 5 assignment is this is what the celebration was. This is what the change into the new song We shall reign on the earth as he has made us kings and priests to our God. That's what was celebrated there. Uh, And so the deep blue is advancing us so much in the knowledge of his ways that we are being positioned to be the government of God on the earth. It isn't a hostile takeover, but a takeover by influence and favor in the midst of the freedom we've been given to choose. Deep Blue is about insight, wisdom, and revelation. And it's a core aspect of who he is as God, the teacher specifically, again, for the mountain of education. As believers, we have so sabotaged ourselves out of this deeper blue uh, by prematurely thinking that we know things. It's hard to learn something when you think you already know everything. And, um, and not being willing to search out matters and search out things that are, that are contradictory even in, in, in knowledge and understanding. And, and so we haven't properly connected dots. And so, again, the church was... Uh, seeming the last to get on board with the idea that the world was round. And and we used the Bible to prove it. That was, I don't know if you know that, but that's what was going on for years and years and years. Somebody had evidence the world was round, but the church was, they, they were about to lose their life just trying to present that because the church thought that violated certain understanding of certain scriptures. We have similar weaknesses in our approach to the study of fossils and the like, as we assume a six-year timetable for all that might ought to be researched a little deeper, or perhaps it already has in some way, and, and I'm not aware of it, but I'm aware of a lot of the research on it. The point is we can be the head and not the tail in education if instead of resorting to know it allness we go after the dots he's left in place and then ask him for the wisdom to connect them and reveal the breakthrough understanding even on things that, uh, again, seem unexplainable or contradictory. I pointed out that in the study of chromotherapy that blue is a color connected to the regeneration of the circulatory system. Interestingly enough, as I further researched into what the color indigo or the deep blue is associated with, it connected with with purifying the circulatory system. And again, that just makes great sense. Though understand that in all matters of chromotherapy, I'm going out there, I'm not making any doctrines out of any of them, just acknowledging what they, they seem to have learned and uh, what seems to make sense to me as it relates to the connection we make to restoring that face of God. It makes sense that regeneration of our blood comes through God the Redeemer and that the purification of our blood comes through God the Teacher. The Holy Spirit clearly carries the characteristics of, of God as Teacher. And he functions as the spirit of wisdom that leads us into all truth and he that convicts the world of their, and he's the one that convicts the world of their sin. This takes us now to look briefly at the Revelation 5.12 template that we are giving for each one of these faces of God. And in the Revelation 5.12 template, we're gonna see love displayed as wisdom. Worthy is the lamb to receive power, wisdom, strength, riches, honor, glory, and blessing. And it's just an interesting idea to think of worthy as the lamb, to receive wisdom. Wisdom is the heavenly attribute associated with the face of God as teacher. He wants to be and provide wisdom for us, but then when we connect to that wisdom, when we connect the dots that he has for us, we'll bless him, we'll be a great blessing with him with the wisdom we've gained. That's another one of those things to chew on for a while. Worthy is the lamb to receive wisdom. Why does the lamb need wisdom? It's not so much he needs it, but he's blessed by the wisdom that comes from those who are made in his image. Now we do know that the Holy Spirit is the embodiment of wisdom. He's called the spirit of truth, the counselor, the comforter. Wisdom isn't just general knowledge of facts and information. Imagine a child's coloring book with dots on a page that once connected in the correct order show a picture that was previously unseen waiting to be discovered. Wisdom is applied knowledge. The difference between disconnected dots and dots that have been properly connected. There's a lot of improperly connected dots both in that which goes as science and that which goes as Christian science. So we need wisdom to properly connect dots that he has already laid out there. As we restore his full face, his many colors, and all of his names, God's house on earth is being built. Proverbs 9, 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. So it's wisdom that instructs us how to advance the reformation of society. God's house on earth is founded in love, But it's built by wisdom. Love has many faces, and it is wisdom that instructs which hue to use, which color to use, and even when to use it. He has so many ways to love, and in his nuanced ways, he knows which is the color that will reach each individual. Even as you raise your kids, you're aware that love is manifested in different ways, depending which child as well. But it is out of love we take out our kids and buy them an ice cream cone. Take them to Yogurtland or Starbucks, whatever it is. It is also out of love that we say, no more ice cream today. <laughs> out of love we give them permission to go out and play. But it's also love that constrains them at times for their protection. So any parent... Ever experienced this that is particularly with teenagers, if you raise teenagers? You were. Our fourth daughter finally made it a teenage, well, she's been there a couple years now. The two oldest have passed out of teenage years, but any parent ever been a little bit stumped? You knew you loved your child, but you weren't sure how to reach them exactly? Which faces of love do you need to show them? There's a wisdom we need for how to reach them. It's like... I can't tell, do I need to ground them for a month for this? Or should I have a heart-to-heart with them? Do I apply mercy, or is it time for consequences? Anybody ever gone through that quandary? Love works with wisdom as the tour guide. Love is always the appropriate response to any situation, but what facet of love to showcase is not always clear without the wisdom. As we continue to look at all this through a let's reform society paradigm, it is of utmost importance for any with an assignment on this mountain of education to be a person filled with the Holy Spirit. And then to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit as it says, Ephesians 3.19, be being filled with the Holy Spirit because he is the counselor, the spirit of truth that we need even to know how to connect to the various hearts that we are attempting to instruct. It's been my observation that we have too many, quote, Christian educators whose wisdom is not the wisdom from above. It's left brain, rational, even humanistic wisdom that's straight from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree champions and prioritizes critical thinking that weighs all the pros and cons of everything. That kind of thinking is a, it's a wisdom of sorts, but it's, it conspires against the fruit of the tree of life. The tree of life fruit is being led by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, often in ways that are counterintuitive to critical thinking processes. That's the problem with traditional education. You will only always do that which is intuitive. And God does most of his great things through counterintuitive advances. Critical thinking processes will always have you walking outside of faith. Let me say that one more time. Critical thinking processes that are championed in our educational system will always have you walking outside of faith. Stepping into faith always requires abandonment of the mind of rational wisdom. It was never wise for Moses to raise his rod and expect the Red Sea to part. No type of pros and cons critical thinking, like, well, if you do, uh, it like it's, it's doesn't make sense. Critical thinking reveals that as a ridiculous exercise. Wisdom requires belief that the invisible is greater than the visible. True wisdom requires belief that the invisible is greater than the visible. Go on. The same goes for crossing the Jordan River. By starting to wade in the river, which is what they were instructed to do. The same goes for circling Jericho with no weapons and expecting the walls to come down. Think about David. If he had properly processed the pros and cons of chasing down the lion who had his little lamb, he wouldn't have rescued that lamb. Taking on Goliath also violated critical thinking. You can see we can go on and on with that, and that's not even coming up to Jesus, the ultimate violator of earthly wisdom. He breaks up one little boy's lunch to feed 5,000 men plus thousands of women and children. He spits on dirt and sticks it on a blind man's eye in order to heal his vision problem. Man, you don't get that in normal education. He walks on water. He dies in order to overcome death. You have just everything about his life is contradictory. The true wisdom that comes from above is always in contradiction to that which normal education champions as high intelligence. So that's a foundational confrontation there. So the deal is this. If we want to see the face of God as teacher and his characteristic of wisdom brightly shining in our education system, we first... We first are going to have to be set free from the restraints of this world's wisdom. That's whether you're an educator. You can be a Christian educator and not be set free from that. And, and, and we have to be people of the spirit. And again, I'll tell you just honestly, I've rarely seen a Christian educator that isn't locked down on their tree of knowledge, left side of their brain. When in order to become effective, they must be fully accessing the revelation that comes to the right side of the brain. The tree of life, the tree of life receptacle through a living relationship with the Holy Spirit as teacher. You know, there's a whole understanding that we have the left side of our brain, the right side of our brain, two different ways of processing things, and all our education pushes us to the left, but it's the right that has access to the supernatural. But we won't delve into that part anymore for time constraints. So we're going to look at the angelic forces of God, the teacher on the mountain of education Again, it's redundant, but it's to remind you the reason we are taking the time and effort to delineate the great angel on every mountain is so that it registers that we have a mighty host of angels on assignment against all the dark powers that are presently in the way, and our forces are much greater than the powers that already exist there. We're not alone in our mission. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who could do it all alone, but we also have overwhelming power through angelic armies. And then God wants to connect us properly, learn how to work together. Papa likes to do everything together so we all have a part. He's one of, let's just do it together kind of deal. He could have done the whole thing without us. The hard part for him is doing it with us. It's not even hard for him. He's so great, he's like, it would take me a little longer, a few thousand years, whatever. He's very patient. <clears throat> so I believe that the name of the great angel of this mountain is Raziel, R-A-Z-I-E-L, and his name means secret or secrets of God. Remember, the L is always God, so secret or secrets of God, which again is a perfect descriptive for someone assigned to assist in the restoration of the face and knowledge of God into society, of this aspect of who he is. And whether I'm right or not about that being the name of the specific angel, that's always beside the point. The takeaway point is that we have a great and mighty army armies of angels assigned for this task of reforming society into becoming the face of God on earth, thus filling the earth with his knowledge. These angels have been assigned to walk beside those called to impact the education systems of this world. They are assigned to educators who understand their assignment of bringing reform into society. You're not alone. If you're in education, ask the Lord to help you, to send these angels to you and for you. These angels also carry scrolls of wisdom. And I saw in Rosh Hashanah of 2014, the Lord showed me that it was Raziel and the angels of the mountain of education that had a major release even to impact uh, wisdom. And I saw these angels, thousands and thousands of them, the way I could see, it might be millions, but they carried scrolls, scrolls of wisdom on how to move forward, how to build. Um, So again, ask the Father for a scroll of instruction from these angels as well as their help in advancing the kingdom influence you are to carry. And these the scrolls can come to you supernaturally. You can get in a dream. You can encounter an angel, or they can happen in very mundane-seeming things. Angels can do things in very fantastic and over-the-top ways, or there can be angels unaware that we are told about even the Scripture, who we don't even know they're doing things. They conceal their work in ways that can even just seem like, oh, wow, that was fortunate that that happened, but it really was uh, an angel and they can release wisdom through children, through donkeys, and through all kinds of ways. So what's the big lie about God on the mountain of education? We're always going after the lies because it's a battle of knowledges. It's imperative we see with clarity the spiritual battlefield layout on every mountain and clearly understand the knowledge of God assignment we have on each. On the mountain of education... The devil has a stronghold built around one central lie. The lie being perpetuated about God in our current education system is that true wisdom is self-dependence. The lie being perpetuated about God in our current education system is that true wisdom is self-dependence. That, in essence, is what humanism and rationalism is all about. It has a starting point of We're on our own, and so let's deal with that. Now, there's a difference between being expected to connect the dots and being on your own. In one, we operate from a foundation of trust and dependence on God, and yet there are some things he wants us to figure out. And in the other, we live as though he doesn't exist, a manifestation of an orphan spirit. In every mountain, the devil seeks to impart an orphan spirit. You just have to realize that. He does it through his domination of that mountain, and here is no exception. You know, humanism says that man is at the center of everything, and God, if he even exists, number one, he probably doesn't, but even if he does, he's sort of a bystander. Part of the appeal of humanism is that it is an upgrade and seemingly a solution to laziness and presumption. Humanism calls upon us to step it up and make things happen, self-dependence itself has been championed as an American ideal. You know, quit making excuses and excuses and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's definitely an appeal here to this type of thinking because it's the antidote to victim mentality and sets you on some kind of path of self-determinism. I think many believers aren't even aware that this is not kingdom thinking but only thinking that is slightly better than being lazy or being a victim. It is a little upgrade over being lazy and being a victim, but it's not kingdom thinking. Self-dependence is the goal when you have an orphan mentality, but should not be the goal of sons and daughters of royalty. Orphans who have accomplished much are regularly championed because they overcame their lack of parents and became something anyway. It truly is commendable that they overcame self-pity, despair, victim mentality, passivity, but that's still not the call of a child of the king. We're not orphans. Orphans are not even orphans. It's only their natural parents who have failed them. Their original papa has not. So an orphan spirit will tell you that you'll only get rewarded for whatever effort you make and therefore make a lot of effort. Say that one more time. An orphan spirit will tell you that you only get rewarded for whatever effort you make, therefore make a lot of effort. Sons are not to embrace laziness, but they also look towards inheritance to prosper them. Sons and daughters look for inheritance. Royalty understands that. Education gets idolized in America and the world because education, as it's done now, is an empowerment of sorts for those who think like orphans. Therefore, we have more achievers than ever and more people obtaining things than ever. Yet stress is also at an all-time high. More people taking stress drugs than ever. It's maybe a third of Americans needing some kind of medicine or drugs for anxiety. In other words, our present education system breeds anxiety. We're accomplishing more, but becoming anxious in the process because we're being separated from identity. Self-dependence is the noble name for what is being attempted, but the psychological reality of self-dependence is, hey, I'm on my own. That's the other way you say it. When you say well, is self-dependence is good, well, what you're acknowledging when you say this, hey, I'm on my own. And that's what the enemy is trying to tell us on every single mountain, in some way or another, plus an additional aspect of lying. But this registers to every living creature as a stressor because we weren't meant to think of life in that context. I think possibly the greatest sickness of our society is, uh, if there was a disease, disease name for it, it would be I am on my ownness. It's an anxiety brought on by being deceived into thinking you're on your own. It's very important to know the lie of the mountain of education or we prioritize, we possibly will prioritize going after lesser objectives. For God is teacher to rule in education. This lie has to be exposed as such encountered with the truth. Now, as I'm sharing this, I'm aware there's a similar response to this juxtapositioning as there was in Elijah's day when Elijah said, choose today who is God. The people of Israel hadn't realized they were confused about the, who, who the, truth, you know, the truth of who God is. They had just been incorporating both into life. They had been incorporating Baal and God into life, and now this guy Elijah is saying, hey, Baal and the Lord don't fit into the same worldview. Similarly, some of you may be Acknowledging, even in your own mind, you're wanting to think, uh, but wait a minute, but self-dependence is good. Uh, again, in the short term, self-dependence is better than passivity or laziness or a victim mindset. But in the long term, it's devastating. You end up building your life around an orphan spirit. You make it become a stronghold in your life that denies God his place here in your life that denies his place in life in general, even while accepting he still has a place one day in eternity. So you can be a believer, yeah, I prayed the prayer, one day I'm gonna be with him, but you know I'm working hard right now, I'm scratching and clawing with everything I know how to do to make sure I survive and I can make it. So we have this independence from God that we think is some wise sign, but it's not. So the truth to counter the lie of self-dependence as good because that's the lie that self-dependence is good is this here's the truth true wisdom is dependence on god the goal of life is absolute dependence on god the highest level of christian maturity you can ever attain to on earth is absolute dependence on god that's that's as brilliant as you can ever get that is as mature as you can ever get is absolute dependence on God, but the path there is scary. The scripture tells us, point blank, without him, we can do nothing. This, of course, as I said, is a scary proposition for many of us because we are entirely sure he can be trusted. This is where we each need our own personal inner healing, where we need the faces of God brought to our personal mountains. A proper kingdom education curriculum will so incorporate God into every aspect of life that this will become a much more natural process to the heart of a student. So we'll get this anointed curriculum out there that will assist in doing that. That's why new systems with new curriculum are a must. Present systems and curriculum reinforce the point of self-dependence as a goal. Again, this is better than welfare mentality. I'm saying it over and over, but it falls short of the real goal of education the pursuit of complete dependence on God. Lack of effort is always laziness and is not a spiritual virtue. I'll make that clear if I didn't say it the other way. However, our effort is designed to be channeled towards God as opposed to towards our independence from him or anything else. You see, the end reality of self-dependence is a pathway away from God that is difficult to come back to. All true wisdom in education begins with God as the focal point. As the scripture says, the fear or awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If life is built around the centrality of God and his provision for every need in life, then this is what allows us to sleep at night with peace of mind, even if we just got fired. Getting fired is an earth-shattering event for an orphan, but just part of the process for a son. A son knows in his knower he can turn to his father. One who is an orphan at heart may throw a prayer towards God, but doesn't have the inner conviction that the matter is taken care of. So our mountain of education assignment is to replace an orphan education system with a son's education system. Humanistic education systems and models will only collapse as we showcase God-centric systems and models that are better enjoyed by the students and have better proven outcomes in real life. It's again, the kingdom way always has better outcomes even in the eyes of unbelievers. If you're an educator, educator, it starts in your own heart. and You secure your dependency in God and on God, and then you carry that sonship into school systems and curriculum, and you receive his wisdom with how to incorporate that in ways that is not over the top or does not stuff it down anybody's throat. We're just getting started with this assignment. This next generation will see a great turnaround as the rising sons and daughters of the king show up with an advanced knowledge of God. All right. Okay, Elizabeth. Yeah.
1: So can you see the brilliance of God to give us as humanity, as humans, these seven primary areas of culture that we can experience, potentially experience him through. Like he gave us something that's tangible in our midst every day, no matter what race, religion, gender, part of the world we live in. Every single nation has these seven primary areas of culture that were meant to be the format, the context in which we receive his ever-increasing kingdom. When we think of the government of God, we're talking about God's ways of doing things, his way of governing. A king, a king's citizens know what their king is like based on the kingdom, the atmosphere of the kingdom that they live in. If they feel safe, if they feel provided for, then that's their understanding of what their king is all about even in days when they had kingdoms and kings they didn't have the technology we have now so they might live their entire lives in this kingdom and never have face-to-face met the king before but they know what he's like based on how they as citizens experience his kingdom so the kingdom is being played out we're just one piece of it. It It's already like a runaway freight train. It is being played out, displayed through every area of culture in every nation. That just blows my mind. I get so excited about that. It makes me feel like we're ahead of the game rather than behind. Because <laughs> he's gone. He's literally gone before us and, and given us like this... Um, this context in which to receive, like a framework to receive the essence of who he is on earth. Just amazing. So we know that God is love. In the most simple way to describe him, he is love. And then we're on this journey to discover and understand what love looks like. What God as love looks like in each of these areas of culture in his kingdom of love. And we all know that that there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So the end result, we will know, the litmus test is, we will know that he is properly being displayed in each area of culture when we're able to experience that area of culture and our takeaway is, I felt loved. When we live in a country where the government interacts with us and our experience with our government makes us feel loved, we'll know he's being properly represented there. And it's the same for all of them. For example, with education, I don't know about you, but I had a couple of years of public school and the majority of my um, my undergraduate, my like, 12th grade and under, was in a private Christian school, and, you know, the teachers there, when I think of them individually, they were all believers, and I believe their motivation, they genuinely loved us as students, but I can tell you the atmosphere that I remember public school and at at a Christian school was fear, absolute fear and dread, and I look back on those years and I can't tell you a whole lot of what I learned, but I can tell you a lot of what I felt because so many stages of it were so traumatic. And I, you know, I was popular to some degree. I, I was in a Christian atmosphere, but there's something about the education experience the way it currently is that does, does not leave us feeling love. And so Johnny's done an awesome job of helping us delve into that and compare and contrast it with our experiences versus the truth of that part of God's heart. But again, this is the kind of thing that I hope that each one of you will go back after these sessions and just spend maybe even a week thinking and meditating on each one of these aspects of God and and take personal inventory. How did you experience, how are you experiencing that area of culture and where has it landed you with your personal takeaways? Um, You know, for me, I remember when we were writing Rainbow Rainbow God and we got to this point of um, delving into the heart of God as teacher, and I had been homeschooling our daughters for many years, realizing along the way that I had probably been primarily motivated out of fear versus love, in keeping them home. And um, And I just began to ask God, okay, well, how, what do you want me to write about here? What is the lie that my heart has believed from... Education, and he said, "Well, how?" He just began to ask me to meditate, think about how I have experienced him as teacher. And I finally kind of got to the root of it. I said, "Well, God, you—you you really have made me um, feel like I'm more important than what you've ever tried to teach me." And then my next thought was, "I've homeschooled all these years. Like, there's nobody on this planet that loves these girls more than I do." And I have failed at that. You know, I, I created a climate and an atmosphere because of my fear and needing to measure up because of homeschooling. I got to make sure they get what they're, you know, just all this pressure that we put on ourselves. And that this, this lie that's been perpetuated about God through our education system, we swallow it and then we give it away. So it's just a a solid example for you of how this actually plays out. All right, so the assurance that we have. When we encounter God as teacher, we are assured of our importance. It's in that atmosphere we were meant to discover without fear of failing, without fear of, you know, attack from our peers or not measuring up, all of those things that help bring that sense of fear in their education system, we were originally intended to experience and discover not only that we're important, but that we have an assignment and we get to find the thing that we're passionate about and figure out how to do with the rest of our lives. It was meant to be that way. So to the degree that you can... Res- Uh, resonate that it resonates with you what I'm about to read to you to that degree we need to see the teacher heart of God I need to know that God has important things he wants to teach me but they're not more important than I am I need to know that he values me and my unique way of learning and has given me not only an important assignment in life, but he's also capable of preparing me and giving me a clear pathway to get there. I need to know that I have enough intimacy with him to access his solutions for the problems in society. I need to see God's face as teacher. So let's allow... God's teacher heart to just speak over us right now. If you'll just take a deep breath and close your eyes and let me just allow me the the privilege to read what I sense is his heart over us as our teacher. My sons and daughters, you know you found the real me when you embrace wisdom. You'll know you've embraced wisdom when you mature to the place of utter dependence on me. You need me more than you've learned or been taught. Your dependence on me is the safest place, full of the greatest treasures of knowledge that exist. My heart towards you, towards humanity, is to freely give you access to all that is life, to all the beauty and mystery of my creation, and to all the solutions that I've provided for every effect of sin in your lives and in the earth. I love instructing you because I love you. Because you are important, I have important things to tell you and teach you. In fact, every bit of knowledge that humanity has tapped into, I freely made available to those who had the passion to seek for it. I've celebrated every aha moment with you and every invention that brought more ease, comfort, and hope. I love it when you discover more of me hidden around you and in you. I love it when you're curious and adventurous. And I enjoy providing times and places for you to search out my mysteries and delve into things many don't see or won't see. But don't stop with information as if it is in and of itself the grandest treasure. Follow the facts into wisdom, into me. Peer so closely that you find me in the micro and train your eye to the most vast horizons and find me there too in the macro. Enjoy the life I've given you, this time and space, to discover not only me, but yourself your assignment. Believe me when I tell you, you have an important one. It's going to require complete dependence on me, true wisdom. Show the world how we do it, how we do it together. The Holy Spirit just prompted me and reminded me of something that I feel like is important for me to bring up at this point and then I'll just briefly close with prayer if you've gone through any type of inner healing at all you're going to be reminded of something you already know right now but you know as children what we experience and our perception of what we experience lands us in um, some different kinds of survival techniques or coping mechanisms. And um, most of those are probably pretty good because they got us through what we were going through, especially if we were really going through something traumatic. But unfortunately, most of us also end up carrying those ways that we learn to survive into our adulthood with us. So for example, you know, many of the things that we went through in our education system even if they weren't traumatic but just the fact that it wasn't what it's supposed to be caused us to develop certain kinds of ways of surviving the education system and many of us have taken those with us into this adult season of our life and it's caused us to lose the joy of learning and discovering and adventure and the, the enjoyment of seeking out and, and, and being curious and being okay with mystery. And so we just come to you right now, Father, and we give you permission to show us those areas. Teacher, our teacher, rabbi, as they called you, Jesus. We give you permission to... Begin to show us those places where we've gotten a little locked down in just trying to survive things that we've been through through our education system. Would you point those out to us so that we can we can see and experience you as our teacher in ways maybe that we never have? And allow us the privilege, God, of representing your heart as a teacher, to those that we, Um, speak into their lives and mentor and and raise up. Thank you for your teacher's heart towards us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was made available by contributions from listeners like you. To donate, go online to restore7.org. Thank you.